All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of the League Express podcast. My name is Jake Keenan, and joining me as always is the editor of League Express, Martin Sadler. And Martin, um, we're in the RFL headquarters again, mate. We've weaseled our way in, but we've got a, a special <laughs> guest here with us today. Can you do the honours of uh, introducing him? Well, it's a great pleasure um, uh, to introduce Rodri Jones, who's the managing director of Rugby League Commercial. Um, and Rodri, you must be in a pretty happy frame of mind for two reasons. One is Wigan winning on Saturday night. Despite the controversy, it was a wonderful occasion and a fabulous win. And secondly, I believe you're heading off to uh, Las Vegas this week to uh, take in the opening round of the NRL's fixtures over there. You, uh, So I'm not surprised you're smiling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, lots to smile about. Uh, firstly, thank you for having me. Um, and thanks for taking the time to c- coming over here. Uh, I'll correct you. It's the home of the RFL and Rugby League Commercial. Uh, so there are oh, obviously two, two, two organisations here in the in the Etihad offices. And uh, glad to see that you've enjoyed the coffee and the pastries this morning. On, Absolutely. On, on behalf of uh, a colleague who does the coffee and, and John Wilkin, who has provided the pastries from his uh, <laughs> right. from his uh, side hustle uh, in, the, in, the, in the coffee and pastry world. Um, but no, back to business. Uh yeah, smiling. Um, it's been it's been a great start to the year. Um, we had a great build up to the to the start of the season. Um, I think the launch was probably uh, one of the best, if not the best, that we've had in terms of the way it looked, uh, the the busyness of of the day, the stories that were coming out of the day, and we had a lot to look forward to uh, in terms of on the field, uh, but also off the field in terms of the new broadcast landscape that we've got new commercial deals coming through, new digital partnerships that we've that we've managed to um, conclude in advance of the start of the season. Uh, and we always saw round two as a as a peak, you know, kind of building towards that peak with Absolutely. the World Club Challenge and and Wigan did the did the business on Saturday. Um, and what a night it was for for us here at Rugby League Commercial, for Wigan Warriors themselves, for Super League, for the British game, it was it was an electric night. But I'm um, going to ask you the crucial question, uh, Rodri. Did you think Jake Wardle's try was a try? Do you know, live I did actually. Yeah. Um, I did live. Um, I, I did think he'd scored it. Um, and having watched um, from the other code, the, uh, the France-Scotland ending a couple of weeks ago I thought we were going to end up in another place like <laughs> yeah. that so so yeah absolutely for me live it was it was a try and uh, I, Good. I didn't take too much notice of the replays no no and so, some people are bad losers aren't they Jake I hate to put the finger on Australians <laughs> but, yeah. I was in a funny position because I'm a Br- Brisbane Broncos fan right. so obviously I was a bit torn do I you know support the NRL club that just beat my team or do I jump on board with Wigan so as a neutral I really really enjoyed the game I thought it was you know just down to the wire, edge of your seat sort of stuff, and what a better way to promote our game as a whole than uh, that matchup that we saw over the weekend. There was definite goose goosebumps on the back of my neck, you know, when the two teams came out. Um, having listened to Heather Small, Russell Watson, and yeah. and I and I wasn't around in the game, you know, in the early two thousands, but you know, everyone keeps referencing the the great rivalry rivalry between England and Australia, and. And I kind of thought back when when the two teams were walking out. I thought this is must this must be what that Great Britain Australia Test match felt like Absolutely. back in those early two thousand matches. Uh, but particularly at the DW Stadium, which is synonymous with with rugby league and rugby league success. I thought this is this is on a par with that. And and I think it's probably one of the best, if not the best event that I've been to for a number of years from a rugby league perspective. Hmm. Well, selling out so quickly, so so far in advance. I mean, I've, I've written in League Express this week, Rodri, that 
you know, you, you contrast it with last year's game that Penrith um, hosted St Helens, and of course it was another wonderful night for English rugby league. But but Penrith, um, quite frankly, when they staged that game, I think they will have learned a lot of lessons from the way Wigan staged it, because you know what Wigan did was far more impressive. Putting aside the game itself and the result, the way they staged the game and promoted it was was tremendous and uh, you know th- this, this this idea that the Australians always do things right and better than us is just ridiculous isn't it yeah 100% agree and I, I look we cannot underestimate how big that that trip for St Helens was last year oh, no. to no. to win down in down down under and and to win at Penrith the home of the champions for last couple of years is you know, cannot be underestimated. And the film they've done of it is tremendous as it's well, fantastic. if you've seen that. Yeah, yeah. it really is. And, and all credit to the St. Helens Club for, for having the foresight to do that behind the scenes stuff. And we were really pleased that they allowed us and Sky Sports to put that on Sky Sports last week as a Brilliant. nice yeah. build up to what was to come on Saturday night. But, it, you know, it, it's a great tribute to the young guy who did it at St. Helens that um, Sky agreed to do that because... <clears throat> the quality was good enough to to justify showing it on Sky. Yeah, and look, we the, the, there's some talented people in the game, um, both on the field but also off the field, and, and that's a really good example of it. Uh, and you could probably go across most of the clubs and, and pick out certain individuals who are who are doing really great jobs in and around their club environments everywhere, you know, from St Helens through to through to Hulkaya on the other side of the country. Mm. We've got some really talented people working behind the scenes and yeah. and that's all, you know, that that's music to our ears. That's what we want. That was the whole idea of the creation of rugby league commercial to better our clubs, better ourselves in centrally, yes, and but also to better our clubs and that's certainly something we've seen over the last 6 to 12 months with the with the introduction of IMG to try and raise standards, the grading clearly plays a part in all of that. Um, you know, we, we firmly believe that the clubs are, are are working as well as they have done for a number of years. Absolutely. Yeah. I guess before we get into some of the stuff we're seeing in the league this year, we might rewind time, go back in time to when you were just a young boy. When was your first sort of involvement with uh, the, you know a great game of rugby league? Uh, so I'm a uh, I'm a 1990 Super League kind of kid as it were so I was born in 83 so by the time it, it got to kind of mid 90s 2000s it was it was the Bulls phenomenon um, I was living in in Bradford like Martin said um, and uh, we're a rugby union family with a name like mine there's, there's <laughs> not much escaping I think you were saying you've got Welsh Welsh, Welsh heritage yeah so. yeah so um, my parents moved up north in the late 70s, uh, I was born in 83, and we're the black sheep of the family in terms of we're the only people in our family that live in England. Mm. Everybody still <laughs> lives in Wales, uh, so the the family dialect is Welsh, um, mm. so it makes for some interesting phone conversations at times when I'm speaking English and they're speaking Welsh to me. Uh, which I was going to say, can, can you actually speak Welsh, uh, Rodri? I can speak a little bit, uh, a little bit yeah. out of practice, but uh, it certainly makes for some interesting phone conversations when my wife is listening because she can't actually understand what they're saying no. <laughs> uh, and can only go from what I'm, I'm replying with. Um, so, yeah, the Bulls for me uh, in the summer of kind of 96, 98, kind of going through those years, um, rugby family, summer, there was no there was no other rugby other than rugby league. And I'm pretty sure during the summer holidays, there was a need for a rugby fix. So mm. off we went to Odsall. Uh, I remember going to Valley Parade as yeah. well that summer yeah. that they played at Valley Parade. 
Um, so it was when uh, Abi Okoku was the chief executive. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So you know, watching Steve McNamara, uh, watching Leslie, watching Shantane, you know, you kind of just names roll off the tongue, don't they? Um, and then towards the end of kind of school life, uh, you kind of change your. Uh, desires and wants and suddenly Headingley on a Friday night becomes a bit more of an attractive proposition than perhaps Oddsall on a Sunday yeah, afternoon yeah. Um, so then Friday nights at Headingley as well generally on the away in the away end but I have stood in the south stand in the old south stand <laughs> a couple of times uh, and then obviously into Headingley after that when when it was legal legal limit to, to have a drink so um so yeah, really enjoyed those kind of growing up. Um, I think your father was the headmaster of Woodhouse Grove, was he? Yeah, he was. He was. He was deputy head of Woodhouse Grove School, which is the school I went to. Oh, um, right. So he, which actually is a very famous rugby union school, isn't it? I mean, there's quite a few well-known rugby union players have come through Woodhouse Grove. Yeah, and and probably the the first one that came through those ranks was was a, a, a surname known in rugby league, Sampson. Paul mm. Sampson. So yes. I remember being at Oddsall watching Paul Sampson play for Halifax yeah. uh, against Bradford Bulls. Uh, there have been a couple of couple of uh, pl- uh, boys that have gone through through recently. Um, the McCormack twins at right. Leeds now are, are Woodhouse Grove boys. Um, but yeah, it you know it was a very very good strong rugby union school and, and mm. certainly gave a good grounding for what was to come in later life. And at one time the Bulls used to train there, didn't they? Before they, did. they moved to Tong. Yeah, they they moved in as I was leaving. Um, and that's and that's how uh, I got into kind of the sports administration world. Um, having finished university, I guess there was two choices. One was to go down to London and, and try and get into sports. That's what I always wanted to do. Um, go down to London and see if there was a, a role down there because that's where the majority of roles were or come home and see if I could try and find some work experience and and I was fortunate enough through the connection with the school to to get two weeks work experience at Bradford Bulls which right. um, those first two weeks um, involved driving around in the Bulls van uh, with the guy who uh, used to dress up as Bull Boy <laughs> right. or Bull Man, um, putting posters up and around the local area to yeah. try and drive ticket sales. So that was the yeah. first experience of sports marketing that I'd had. Um, right. And uh, yeah, as they say, that that's kind of there's always a start somewhere. Was Peter Deakin still at Bradford at that time, or had he left already? No, he'd he'd left. So I was under the tutelage, I think you'd say, of uh, of the now past Debbie Charlton, who was such a lovely woman. She was fantastic. Yeah, yeah, and still still reference her yeah. in, in in life now to to some of the things that she did even oh, back yes. then. She was great. I thought um, the the iconic Stuart Duffy. Um, yeah. Yeah. Who uh, you know obviously done his time at Leeds Rhinos beforehand, Leeds Rugby with Danny Rubin, another ex colleague of mine, absolutely, uh, and Ryan Duckett, who's now chief executive of Derbyshire Cricket Club. So yeah. uh, you know started started the career in in good hands. Yeah, and how long did you spend there before moving uh, on? Did two seasons in effect. So the first year we lost to Leeds in the grand final. Um, and then the second year, we beat Leeds in the grand final. So that was 2005. Right, mm. right. And is that when you actually joined the RFL, as it then was? Uh, no, uh, I actually did uh, uh, eight months, nine months over at Hull FC, actually. Oh, right. Um, I didn't know that. No, not many people do. Uh, yeah. And I went and worked with Kath Hetherington and Jimmy Rule at the time in the role of media manager. Um, which that was, was before they moved into the new stadium? They were at the new stadium. Oh, they were already, um, already they there, They just right. won the Challenge Cup in Cardiff. Um, ah, right. And 
it was also the period of time that they sacked John Keir. Yeah. So for a for a twenty three, twenty four year old, it was quite a quite an interesting time yeah. to, to to kind of get used to it, and also not really knowing and understanding what Hull was like when a, Peter Sharp was coming as in as their place. head coach. Yeah. So so Peter Sharp came in, great, really nice, uh, really nice man. Uh, really enjoyed working there, um, but there was an opportunity that came up at, at the RFL then in two thousand seven that that I applied for and, and was lucky enough to get. Right. Right. So how did you? go from there to being the md now that that's quite a an interesting journey and, yeah. and congratulations on having made it thank you yeah thank you that's that's very kind i think um it's, it's taken time as you as you would expect yeah um and and kind of earned the stripes as as you go along the journey but the role that i started in was was very much around looking after sponsors sports uh, sponsor rights delivery and slowly but surely you get to learn the business and understand the business and, and you kind of start trying to get involved in other bits and pieces. So sponsorship to start with turned into sponsorship and events. So our, our iconic events and, and managing and overseeing sure. the delivery of those. And then you'll remember this, Martin, when kind of in those, uh, what was it, uh, 2014, 2015, there was a, there was a move to, to, to bring Super League as a, as a more... Um, concerted organisation um, uh, under the under the leadership of, of Blake Solly. Yes, um, and we moved out of Red Hall and moved into uh, Media City, um, and that was a that was a real change, kind of in in kind of administration, the way we worked, the way we operated, very much focused on the commerciality of it all, and yeah, uh, and that was where you know got given an opportunity to to lead on the partnerships and the events and the broadcast. Stuff. Yeah, Blake was quite a determined guy, wasn't he? Of course, he's now at South Sydney as as their chief. Yeah, um, that's right. But did, did you enjoy working with him? Uh, very much so. Yeah, yeah, very very much so. There was a there was a group of us, and some are still here today, and and we still. You know, reference that time, that period, yeah. um, because you're right. Blake did put some real impetus into it, um, and then obviously we went through the change where the Super League split away from the RFL, and Robert Elston came in, and, and Robert was, you know, was was kind enough to to ask me to go with him to to Super League, mm. which was again too good an opportunity to to turn down, and then obviously that kind of comes back full circle. Um, Looking back, I mean. Yeah, but- you know, looking from the outside and and looking now with the benefit of hindsight, I suppose, Rodri, that whole breaking away thing in the way it happened looks like a mistake. I mean, would you characterise it as that or would you say it wasn't a mistake, but nonetheless, it it obviously didn't go quite according to plan, did it? Yeah, I, I wouldn't say it was a mistake. I, I wouldn't say it was a mistake. I think it was probably... There was probably good reasons for it to happen in the first place. Hmm. Um, I know Ian Lennigan played a significant role, didn't he? In, I, I believe in so. doing that. Yeah, I believe so. And, and I think, um, and I think, you know, looking back, like I say, I don't think it was a mistake for for particular reasons. I think the the hand that we were dealt with wasn't wasn't ideal. Um, if you recall, we went into broadcast negotiations at the time when COVID hit. Mm. Um, and then obviously there was there was an inquiry into private equity and, and that obviously being um, uh, declined uh, at, at around the Super League shareholder table. So there were a couple of things that didn't quite go as, as planned or as, as hoped. Um, I don't think, again, we can't underestimate how big an impact COVID had on us at that no, time. No, no, it, um, it was incredible that we got through COVID without too many clubs other than one or two on the margins perhaps yeah. going under. Because you look at rugby union, for example, and you know, I still don't think they've fully recovered no. from 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 the epidemic. I'm afraid. Yeah, I think. Look, you just, I guess, you just need to see the 
the three clubs that have disappeared from Premiership rugby to yeah, yeah. That, that is kind of proof in, in yeah. itself, isn't it? Um, we, we were, uh, you know, it was a totally unique experience. You know, <laughs> you go from trying to sell the sport to brands and commercial partners to the next day, actually going, how are we going to do this? When are we going to do this? And and even now, you know, if I went on my, in the previous files, we I could find uh, probably seven or eight different calendars that we were working towards because yeah. we just didn't know anything and didn't know when you were going to re- exactly. restart. Yeah, you know, exactly. That, that exactly. last that last game before the close down, Castleford versus St. Helens. Yeah, who would have? You I know, know, I mean, it was I hard to that, take that was on a board, Sunday, wasn't it? And Sky, it was. I remember taking that phone call from Sky. Obviously, we were talking about it during the week, and don't forget the roost had just been over for the World yeah. Cup Challenge, which yeah. in itself is just they knew what COVID was and we didn't. You know, mm. we didn't. Re- we heard about it, but didn't really know what it was, and they'd effectively flown over it you know yeah. where it was coming from and, yeah um and so you know and i remember that launch that year you know sunny bill williams on the stage and, and there was a real positivity again a bit like this year there was a real yeah. positivity around super league and 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 we got to we got to march and I remember taking that phone call from sky to say football's gone this is gone are you still playing uh, and i said well yeah we're still gonna play round three i think it was yeah um can we can we show a game on Sunday? I said, well, you've got Casford St. Helens at three. That'll do, we'll take it. Yeah. And literally, <laughs> yes. that was that was the end of it, wasn't it? It was oh, for yeah. several months, actually. Mm. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And uh, I mean, when you look at... You've, you just mentioned Sonny Bill Williams there. Of course, he was representing Toronto Wolfpack on stage. Mm. And, you know, obviously, they were the main... The, the, you know, the, 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 they were the biggest casualties of COVID, yeah. weren't they, in, in a rugby league sense? I mean, it had been so exciting to see them coming into the game and clubs going over there to Toronto to play and they were creating a unique environment and a unique atmosphere, I think, with with some very good crowds that they were mm-hmm. drawing. Uh, lo- looking back, was there, <coughs> you know, was, was there... Extinction inevitable, given given what happened, and if if it hadn't been for COVID, do you think they would have still been involved? Yeah, it, ultimately, COVID killed them off, didn't it? Yeah, it just became too difficult. And as much as we tried to help and support a solution based focus, it, it was just impossible to for them to to see that through. Um, would they still be around today? it's a really good question martin i don't think we actually we we know the answer no. clearly we don't know the answer i'd like to think that they would have they would definitely have seen that 2020 season out yeah they were i think it was round six actually because remember there were six there were six losses from six matches yeah um but they would have they would have taken some scalps that summer mm. i'm pretty sure of it in toronto having been out there playing on the pitch that they had playing in the heat that there, there was in toronto they would have taken some scalps so i think it would have been it would have been really interesting to see where they would have ended up that year. And and, and afterwards as well. Yeah, absolutely. I'll just ask one that. I remember being in Australia at the time. There was a lot of reports around them doing a, a Netflix documentary around Sonny Bill's um, time in Toronto. Was that ever going to happen? Because I know you signed a mammoth deal and there was talks of potentially a documentary happening as well. You just can't help but think how beneficial something like that could have yeah. been to rugby league possibly. Uh, in Toronto. Yeah, possibly. I, I, I don't know about that. Mm. Um yeah, I mean anything like that where where it puts our sport in a different sphere is is always beneficial, I believe. Mm. And you know, and that's one of our that's always been one of our biggest challenges in mm. that you know we we talk about 
we talk about the bubble, the rugby league bubble, um, and and pushing out of that bubble. Um, and that's yeah, that's clearly one of the one of the challenges that we continually face, but we're determined to to make a success of. Mm. Could I just ask you about uh, you know that that rugby league bubble and the fact that the rugby league audience, you know, despite everything that that you do or the game itself does it's difficult to make that audience expand um, because in the modern world people are set on what they enjoy and life is com- compartmentalized you, you, so to speak isn't it people are football fans rugby union fans rugby league fans ice hockey fans tennis fans or, or whatever but they don't seem to cross boundaries in quite the way that they used to but having said that Rodri one of the most impressive things at the weekend had nothing to do with the World Club Challenge. It was the crowd that turned out at London Broncos, 5,102, the reported figure. And I wrote this week in, in League Express, where, where the heck did those people come from? Because, you know, most of us had predicted that London, because they're you know, going to struggle to stay in Super League, obviously, at the end of the year, regardless of their results, given the grading system, most most of us thought that that would have an adverse effect on the crowds that they might pull. Well, that certainly didn't seem to be the case on Friday night, did it? Yeah, look, hats off to, to London and the team down there. Do you know for, where they all got those fans from? Uh, I don't. Uh, <laughs> I know a lot of hard work's gone in there in the in the off-season from Jason and, and the team down there and behind yeah. the scenes. Uh, interestingly, our, our head of marketing here has has got a call with them this afternoon because he wants to ask that question. Yeah, yeah. You know, he kind of wants to know where where did all these people come from and... Will they come uh, again? Will they come again? And don't forget, we've got Wembley in June this year and that's an opportunity to showcase the best of our sport, etc. So, uh, look, I was was really delighted for the London club... with that crowd on Friday, have you managed to speak to anybody down there? To David Hughes, or uh, like I haven't haven't yet. Um, yeah, tra- uh, conversed with Robert Hicks, who was at the game on on Friday night, uh, whilst I was sat at Warrington. Yeah, so you can imagine what we were talking about. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, but one of the things he said was, "Look, the crowd, he probably um, underestimated. You know, the crowd at at, uh, at London on Friday, and and I'm really pleased for them. Uh, really, yeah. really, and they've got Wigan in two weeks' time. And Absolutely, you'd yeah. like to think that that crowd would. Well, Wigan will probably take five thousand themselves. Probably uh, maintain yeah. that crowd number. It's a, it's a, it was a Friday night as well. Yeah, which you know, again, you're not sure whether that will work or not. No, but no. Look, I, I think, and it looks a great stadium, doesn't it? If it, you've seen the it game, it is. Yeah, it is it a looks, good stadium. It looks just right for them. Yeah, it's a good stadium. It's it's akin to. To kind of York, mm. you know, that's 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 kind of how I felt about it. And look, I, I think it's a great start for them. I know it's not quite quite going their way on the field, but that, I think that will come as well. Um, but off the field, look from a from an attendance perspective, you know, a really positive start for them. Yeah, mm. they certainly didn't play with any lack of spirit. Although obviously they were just a bit overmatched, really against against the Catalans, weren't they? But interesting game for them at Hull at Hull this uh, this coming weekend. Yeah, Absolutely. I think that's what you call a four pointer. It? <laughs> it is. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Uh, it's uh, it's been a pretty tough schedule for them to start the season. Yeah, come up against Saints, Catalans, and then Wigan in a few weeks' time. I don't know who does the fixtures for you, but they don't like London Broncos all that much. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well. Who knows? Unfortunately, you're probably looking at him, Martin. To be yeah. fair, so. Uh, <laughs> but uh, look, it fixtures. It's a really just to touch on that. It's a really interesting one because you could look at anybody's schedule and go, "Oh, yeah, that's not great." Yeah, and, and that's mm. just the it's the way the the computer throws them out. We obviously mm. have so many things that we have to consider. Sure, um, it, there is a, an element of um, there are no easy games and there's no ideal sequence. 
Mm. I think Huddersfield were complaining weren't they? that of their first nine games, only two of them are at home or something yep. like that. I mean, is that just is that for any specific reason, or is it just the way the fixtures fall out? Uh, I think. Without checking here, I think there'll be an element of Huddersfield Town home games, yeah, yeah, and then also pitch remediation work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Now, obviously, there's been a lot of broadcasting deals that have gone in uh, for this season. We've seen the the launch of the Super League Plus app. Uh, do you feel like the visibility of the league as a whole is at one of its highest points that we've seen you know, over the last decade or so? Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, just the virtue that you know, I think we were in a good place last year with Channel Four. Um, the BBC immediately adds another couple of hundred thousand on top of that. So uh, at this point, this season, next season, next three years, you know, the, the game w- will be as uh, as noticeable, will have its biggest possible audience as it ever has done. Mm. Um, so from that perspective, it's a huge opportunity for us. That was always the, that's been the message from our perspective, certainly in the off season and coming into the start of the year is that, you know, this will be the most viewed competition there ever has been so Mm. it's how we capitalize on that is going to be key and how successful has the uh i guess the launch of the super league plus app been have you seen many people signing up for? yeah it's it's been good it's been a real positive start i think there was always two elements for us one is uh does the platform will it work you know in terms of operationally will it will it work there's a there's a there's a lot to consider when you when you think about it Sky have been fantastic in terms of helping us through all of that. As of IMG, we're using Endeavour Streaming, uh, part of the IMG group. Sky seems to Sky seem to have. I mean, I was at the um, Sky dinner in Manchester, as you know, a couple of weeks ago, and yep. um, and Sky seemed to be really pushing the boat out for rugby league this year. For as as, as you've already said, yep. uh, it, why, why have they? I mean, they've obviously got new com- new commentators. Dave Woods has gone to Sky. Uh, Mark Jones is doing a lot of the games as well, uh, and it, it's coming across really well, I think. Good. But you know, why why uh, why is Sky why is Sky being so cooperative? I mean, I mean, it's a stupid question to ask in a way because yeah. you know, hopefully they I always understand. are. But yeah. but they, but they are but they are but they do seem to be making the extra effort this season, don't they? Yeah, and I, and I think there's two bits. I, I think one. That support has always been there. They've just never shouted about it. No. And I think they've made an effort this year to, to really shout about it, which for the likes of you guys, you guys have probably stood up and noticed the difference. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then a really, dare I say, it, simple change has been changing voices and faces that you yeah. see on telly. And suddenly everything feels different, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, the, the quality of Sky Sports is is still there it's it's always been there and it's still there now i just think they've they have done a really good job of of telling people about it this time they've had a hook to be able to tell people that every game is live on sky um and then with a change in talent it just feels different mm-hmm. um i have to say the first two weeks i think they've been excellent I think the BBC coverage has been excellent as well. So, you know, we've done, I think we've done everything we possibly can to put ourselves in the shop window. Have you had any feedback yet from Saturday night's BBC game? I mean, I think, you know, the audience, somebody told me it peaked at, was it 570,000 or something like that? Yeah. Um, but, you know, have you, I mean, I, I've, I've not actually seen the BBC's coverage yet because obviously I was at the game mm. and I've not had time to look back at it. Um but I just wonder, what, you know, has there been much reaction? Because it was interesting, wasn't it? It was on the same day as uh, a couple of Six Nations rugby union matches, one of which the BBC was 
broadcasting. Um, and, you know, I'd bet my bottom dollar that our game was far more exciting than anything they had. Um, but I, I just wonder whether you, you've, you've seen much feedback from that game. Yeah, look, from, from a BBC perspective, you know, really pleased with how the first two weeks have gone. There, there was a slight risk in that Casford-Wigan game at 5.30 on Saturday. Yeah. First game, do people know it's on and, you know, the, the conditions and, yeah. and what have you, is it going to be a good game? And it performed really well. Mm. Um, and I think if you'd have given them the audience before the game said, look, would you take it? I think they would have said, absolutely, we'll, we'll take that. So so I think from from week one, it was good. It meant there was good, good build-up into week two. I think what the broadcast deal also brings with BBC specifically, but also you could argue with, with Sky as well, is is the other opportunities, you know. So so look, if you look at last week, we had uh, Matt, Pete and Bevan French in the BBC Sports Studios all last Tuesday morning. They did six different radio interviews. They were on the BBC Breakfast sofa, etc. Mm-hmm. And that's because the BBC were televising the game. Mm-hmm. Um, so all those additional benefits that we get from that BBC relationship certainly help towards the delivery on Saturday night. Look, Saturday night, I think I've watched the Sky coverage end-to-end last night. BBC will be tonight. Um, but, you know, the fact that you know, you've got Mark Chapman there, who probably is one of the best, if not the oh, best no broadcasters yeah. in, in the country. We've got I'm glad he was there, yeah. He's got, he's got the talent around him to be able to pull, you know, uh, to be able to talk about the game, to be able to appeal to that broader audience as well. I think that's what he does really well through his... Just general being, yeah, he's got being a, great, a general he's sports got, He's got a great expert. broadcasting personality, Exactly. So, so I'd like to think that... I know the BBC were happy with Saturday. Um, I know my father was v- very happy it was on on Saturday night. He doesn't have Sky. So it was the first time he was able to watch the World Club Challenge. So right. he, was, he was delighted. Good, awesome. good. I think uh, on a lot of uh, rugby league fans' Christmas wish lists, we're all hoping that... One day there'll be a year when every game is on at a different time slot and there's yeah. no clashes. Is that something that we could see in the future, or are we always going to have those, you know, three games on a Friday night at the same time? Yeah, I think. Look, I think that's that's a really interesting one, and I think that might be Super League two point zero in terms of scheduling. Um, I think we, you guys, understand the challenges that we have in terms of, you know, half the league don't own their own stadia, for example. So we're always mm. under the. Uh, under the pressure of of what the other code or the other round ball are doing, mm. you know, take Huddersfield as an example, yeah. as you said there. So, so we don't have a have a, a clean home and away ability to play home and away every week because um, the stadiums aren't available. So that makes that makes it hard anyway. Um, and then to split the, the to split the round in effect into six segments. Um, also is a challenge um, by virtue that whoever plays on Sunday then can't play Thursday the following week Mm. uh, and for all those other various reasons that we've got. So I don't think it's beyond the realms of possibility. Um, I think week one was a really good example for me in terms of I I think we do have to look at it and consider it. If you think that we had three games on the Friday night... Mm. um, How how did the audience figures go for those three games? look at the TV audiences, to your point there, you know... I think historically we've had one game Thursday, one game Friday. We've had a live audience, let's say, or a live attendance at the other Friday night games, but we've never had TV coverage. Mm. If you look at the first Friday night, cumulatively, it's a really strong performance for the th- across the three games. Mm. But it is there is a hierarchy in terms of the, how the three games perform. Sure. And so therefore, to your point, you then look at, well, actually, if you separated those games out, how does that work? Um, mm. And so this weekend for me was a really interesting one because we had 
Salford Casford on Sunday on its own. We also had Huddersfield St Helens on Saturday at 5.30 on its own. And we only had two games clashing on Friday night. Mm. And, and again, cumulatively in round two, we had more audience than we did in round one. So to your, to your point, if we were to split it across six segments or six, six blocks, would, how would our audiences look? And I think we'd, we'd end up with a, probably a, a higher cumulative audience because it, it gives people the opportunity to watch more, more rugby league. Mm. Um, it's the devil in the operational detail that I think we, that we will have to look at. We're, we're going to have to look at it. Mm. Um, how do you think the clubs will react to that? Because obviously a lot of clubs love playing on Friday night. Don't yeah. they? Le- Leeds obviously have a big hospitality market right. to, to aim for on a Friday night and they're reluctant to move away from it. So do you think the clubs would accept it ultimately? I mean, I suppose the, the thing that would persuade them is if they thought they were going to get more money in the next broadcasting deal because of a change of the sort that you're describing. I mean, is, is that the way to go? Uh, I think it's a, it's a really good question. Um, as you know, we, we do a lot of consultation with, with the clubs um, and it's something that we'll, we'll have a conversation with about. I think for us, I think we would, we'd look at the first five weeks to see how they, to see how they uh, perform. Uh, and I say five weeks because week six is Easter. Mm where all six games are spread across the weekend individually. So I think that will be a good marker in terms of comparing week six to the previous five weeks yeah. to see if there is a correlation mm. between separating the fixtures out. I suspect there will be, mm. having seen how Easter performed for us last year. Yep. Um, look, we, we would have to do the consultation with, with clubs. I understand what you're saying. And and if you end up with... Um, <coughs> You know your your lead, your traditional Friday night clubs all playing in the same round at home, and they all want to play on a Friday. And suddenly, one has to play at Saturday lunchtime; the other has to play at one o'clock on a Sunday. But if they're trying, they, are, they, might, they might like it. You know, there is that. You there know, that. It, yeah. it, 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 they're set in their ways, aren't they? In a way, um, and yet, you know, the Australian clubs—they've got to get you. They've got used to it, haven't they? And they don't seem to complain. Yeah, and I think look, we we could probably help. You know, we can probably help along the way as well, and 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 work with the clubs to find the right kind of balance between. Use Leeds as an example. Who I have to say, you know, every club, not just Leeds, every club are understanding of when we put a request in to move a fixture. They know why we're asking. Um, so so in terms of moving, appreciate it's definitely not ideal for for fans and planning trips and all those kind of bits and pieces. But we are. Yeah, we have to service our broadcast partners ultimately. Um, Absolutely, yeah. But I, I think there is, look, I, th- I, I do think there is a way of doing it. Um, and, and like you say, Martin, maybe the right way to do it is do as much consultation as we can, but actually just take the decision that we are going to split the round. Mm. Absolutely, yes. I think that's what you should do. Actually, w- one of the things that struck me about this year was the start of the season, the whole derby. I thought that was an inspired choice, particularly for a Thursday night. And, and I, I actually think Thursday night games are quite important because it's the one night of the week, isn't it, when there's probably no football on TV. That's right. M- most weeks. So, I'm a, uh, you know, I tend to think that big games on a Thursday night in Super League, if we are going to win potential fans over, you know, the bigger the games that we can put on Thursday night, the better. Ideally, local derbies, because I always tend to think, you know, especially in February and March, Rodri, Putting on games that involve one club, one club's fans driving over the M62 in the middle of winters, not a great idea. Yeah. Mm. Um, you know, whereas local derbies between, let's say, the two old clubs or Leeds versus Castleford or 
Warrington v Lee, th- those sorts of games, yeah. where you're going to have a lot of fans from both sides, will create an atmosphere and fill a ground and look great on TV. Yeah, and I think we, we've... We've certainly tried to do that this year. It's not a perfect science. Um, there was a reason why the whole derby was Thursday um, and then um, Leeds play Salford on Friday because we felt that it was it gave the Salford fans more opportunity to travel. Leeds are a Friday night club, as you say. Mm. So so there is, there, is some, there is some thought that goes into it. Everyone could probably pick a fixture and go, well, you didn't think about that one. Um, and that's fair, but there are 167 of them, so I'm not yeah. promising we get all 167 right. Yeah. Um, but again, last weekend um, in in round two, Hull KR playing Leeds. Mm. We know it's a lot easier for Leeds fans to go to Hull KR on a on a Thursday night than it is for a Hull FC fan to go to Warrington mm. on a Friday on a Thursday night. So mm. that's why that that that, sh- that was scheduled the way it was. This week we don't have a Thursday night game. Um, is there any reason for that? Yeah, and, and the simple fact is the feedback we get from, from clubs was we need to reduce the number of Thursday night games because of the impact it has on attendances and, and, and potentially corporate as well mm. for some clubs. So we've tried to work with Sky to, and they've understood it, especially when it comes to picking fixtures later in the season at shorter notice. Moving them to a Thursday is, is not ideal. Um, and and so we had that in the back of our minds this year, and so there isn't a Thursday night fixture every every round this year. There wasn't last year. There's probably even less this year. Uh, and this year, the the selection of um, the Thursday night fixture was not needed because, from a Sky perspective, Leeds play Catalan on Saturday, um, and Sky is saying that would be our pick. Mm. Um, and we worked around a main event slot that Sky mm. had. Uh, and that's why it's ended up on a Saturday at three o'clock. So there's there's lots that goes into it, lots yeah. to consider. And um, I would uh, I would invite you to come and uh, sit in one of the meetings that we have. <laughs> yeah, that would be well, I'd be delighted. <laughs> I'd, I'd obviously love to do that. Actually, l- let's just um, get on to one little bugbear uh, that's cropped up over the last week or so, because um, obviously, Rodri, you've seen the. Um, the news that's broken in the um, in, in Australia about the fact that you'll soon be an employee of the NRL <laughs> as when they buy Super League, you know, I actually rejected that story in Liga. I thought it was such a nonsensical story that it wasn't even worth running in in League Express this week. So I I hope it doesn't happen. <laughs> but obviously, can you can can you actually just shed some light on how on earth that that story arose? Well, I don't actually know if, I, if I'm... Uh, <laughs> nothing if I, to do with you. No, no, absolutely nothing to do with me. So, um, no, it was... Uh, I got a text, like probably a lot of people, that said, have you seen Have you seen this? And, yeah. and I, was, I thought, what, 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 what are you talking about? So Googled it and found the Matty Johns podcast and thought, yeah. oh, this, this is interesting. I wonder where he's got this from. So, mm. yeah, look, it, it's, it was news to us. Uh, we're not entirely sure where it's come from. Um I'm sure it will uh, it will get mentioned this coming week mm. uh, in Las Vegas, and we'll see if we can uh, find out where the where the source is. But uh, but mm. from our perspective, look, we've not we've had no we have engagement with the NRL. We're obviously going to see them this week in in Las Vegas, but we haven't had engagement to that to that uh, subject. Talking about Las Vegas, are you hoping that we're going to get an invite there for next year? Not just you to go as <laughs> the MD, but you know maybe the World Club Challenge or maybe. You know, a couple of uh, maybe a Super League game being added. Yeah, it, quite interesting over the last ten days, I guess, in the build-up to the World Club Challenge, um, and it definitely wasn't coordinated. But 
I think 10 days ago or so, we were talking about the World Club Challenge perhaps having having a place in the Las Vegas weekend. Now knowing that the Las Vegas deal is a five-year deal as yeah, opposed yeah. to just a, a one-year a one hit, hit, as it were. Um, and I think we were probably, uh, probably two months too late for this year. When, when we got round the table with Penrith and, and Wigan, the question was asked whether it could be played in Las Vegas, but the NRL at that time had committed to the double header sure. and, and what have you. So we were slightly late on that one, but um, certainly the talk pre-World Club was, you know, wouldn't wouldn't it be great for this game to be in, in Las Vegas next year? And and there were, not many people were kind of saying, no, what a, what a terrible idea that is. Um, and then Peter obviously came out last week and said, you know, it'd be great if we could look at some Super League involvement in Las Vegas. Now, that wasn't coordinated no. by the two organisations. That was just the way he felt about stuff. So do I think it's a possibility? Yeah, I do. Uh, I don't know how much of a possibility it is at this point, but... I think this week we'll we'll get to find out because there'll be some conversations about it. How do you get on with Peter Vlandis? Because he's a very headstrong sort of a guy, isn't he? Very decisive and, you know, he's pushing the boat out by going to Las Vegas, isn't he? Yeah, look, I've had limited time with him. I've, yeah. I've met him in person once in last year as part of an RLIF meeting. Um, huge respect for him for what he's done over there. Him and Andrew, to be fair, um, they're dealing with an absolute beast aren't they in terms of the NRL it's the equivalent of our Premier League um, and full respect to both of them really and and looking forward to spending some more time with them this week they're saying they've sold 35,000 tickets now for you know Saturday night's games hopefully they'll get over 40 and maybe even beyond that 45 perhaps yeah I believe so and I think you know I think they've been relatively happy with how many tickets they've sold to the local market yeah um and i know they've they've sold pretty well to traveling market as well i know some people who are leaving these shores this week to go over as well and seeing it as a once in a lifetime uh, opportunity um so it's going to be a really interesting mix of of people in the stadium probably dare i say a perhaps a little bit similar to how the Catalan were or how Toronto was. Sure. There'll be an element of some experts. Yeah. Some people who just don't have a clue what's going on, but just going for a good time. Yeah. And I think that's, that's what it's about. Um, so, I, you know, I really hope it's a, it's a huge success this week because look, clearly it, it would be something that would be great for a Super League to be involved. Yeah. In. Can I just ask you moving on about IMG? Obviously IMG have made a significant impact since they were appointed back in 2022. The most obvious way is with gradings and the, the grading system. And um, that's not been accepted entirely by the rugby league community, has it? it it's it's a completely different way of looking at, uh, of, of, of determining who should play in the top competition. And we've mentioned London Broncos already, who came 24th in the 35 clubs in terms of grading scores, meaning that they will almost certainly not be playing in Super League next year. Um, And there are quite a few objections that people have made to specific elements of grading, particularly the catchment area thing, which does seem to me to be, I mean, you know, London Broncos catchment area being the London Borough of Merton, for example, just does seem ridiculous, whichever way you look at it. But how happy, I mean, broadly speaking, are you happy with the way things are going and, and you're confident that, that it will work out at, at the end of this season? Yeah, I'm, I'm fully confident. Um, and, I, and I think, you know, none of this was done 
uh, in isolation no. in, in terms of the signing off process. You know, the clubs all signed up to it. The, the clubs agreed to it. So there was always going to be some bumps in the road. And, you know, I think those bumps in the road were only going to become evident once scores were starting to be circulated because it, it, it effectively measured every club. The reason why we brought it in so early was to give clubs the opportunity to, to go and do something about it. And I think you'll find that you know a lot of clubs will now have some real focus into certain areas where they know that they can improve their off-field performance. And, then, and those are the other four pillars away from the performance pillar. Um, performance is, is only 25% of, of the grading. Um, and that's because we, we need to have the best clubs, and I mean best in the broadest sense, mm. in, in the top division. We can't, have, we can't keep having ha- clubs who are just purely focused on the performance side sure. of, of the game because we know that you know, it, it's just not sustainable in that, in that sense. Um, mm. Success, yes, breeds success, I get that. But, but you know, the, the emphasis on grading is to make sure that we've got the, the best clubs in the top division. Most clubs have a financial year end of 30th of November. And virtually, all, well, not, not necessarily all of them, but a lot of them will have already boosted their financial balance sheet, you know, with, for example, Wakefield have got a, a new wealthy owner who's, who's made sure, I think, that their balance sheet on the 30th of November last year gets him the maximum marks. And there are quite a lot, you know, those seven clubs that got grade A's, mm. if we assume that they will retain their grade A status, which hopefully is the case... We're then, we've then got all the ones who sort of narrowly missed out. Several of them seem now quite confident um, that they will get up to grade A. Just, just one question, really. What, what, what will happen if you actually have 13 clubs with a grade A? Will they all play in Super League next year? I don't think we'll end up with 13 No, no, but just the, the hypothetical think, uh, situation. Yeah, yeah, no, hypothetical. And look, that's the aspiration, isn't it? We, yeah. we said that from, from day one. The aspiration here is to have at least 12 grade A clubs. And once we break that threshold of 12, that's when we can have a meaningful conversation about the construct of Super League as a competition. Mm. With the likelihood that you wouldn't probably want a grade A club playing in the championship. So, so therefore, that... The, the immediate answer to that, Martin, would be we would then look at the number of teams in Super League. Yeah. Mm. And what happens if... Let's, let's imagine the number of A-grade clubs is boosted to nine, mm. for sake of argument. And so you're going to have three grade B clubs in Super League next year. The thing that gets me is, what happens if club number 12 gets 13.5 points and club number 13 gets 13.45? In other words the margin between 12 and 13 is so slight that there is inevitably room for argument about how accurate the scores are. Because it's going to be very important, that, isn't it? Because the club that gets into Super League is going to have an equal distribution of funds with the other Super League clubs, which, whatever that figure will be next year. But the club that goes into the Championship will have relatively a minuscule... Very different. Yeah. Yeah, very different. And that just seems to me you know that's that so so the future of a club that's number 13 on the list you know might have done everything right it might have improved its grading score and so on but it still might miss out and face real difficulties yeah and and that that, that's the reality of the situation i guess Mm. what we've put in 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 place is a framework for clubs to to work towards uh to aspire to 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 be that a grade club that we're looking for 
And then we've also, you know, there's elements of resilience that we've had to put into the system to make sure that, you know, to make sure that it, it is transparent, it is clean, you know, independent auditor to look at the scoring system. Are you confident, though, that the club that finishes 13th won't take legal action to, you know... I mean, <laughs> I, I don't know. You yeah, know, that, that's reality. You know, who who knows what they might yeah. end up doing, and yeah. a little bit will depend on who that club is as well, and 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 how they see it. Um, but you know, from our perspective, it's very much transparency. Everyone knew what they were signing up to. It was approved. It's been put in place twelve months in advance of it actually becoming real. Everybody will get given the chance to improve their scoring, um, and yeah, let's let's wait and see what comes out. The trouble is, sometimes people sign up for all sorts of things that they later regret, don't they? Oh, Including marriage the and many worst, other things. The way life is, isn't <laughs> yeah, it? Yeah, it is. yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it is. Just on IMG, though. Obviously, yeah. as I say, the grading thing is the most prominent thing that they've done. But what else? I mean, they've they've, they've negotiated. Was it them who negotiated the, the the new TV deal, and they've negotiated the deals in France, presumably, um, and, and and other places, I, I imagine. And and they've actually given the clubs a lot of guidance on digital marketing and so on as well, haven't they? Is is that what they do? What? How do you see their role? You know, over the next twelve years, Rodri. Uh, interesting. We had we had a call with them yesterday, actually, uh, to to kind of refresh the recommendations that they delivered probably 18 months ago and, and to kind of assess where we were at with those recommendations, um, the, the seven recommendations that, that they provided. So, look, I, I think the biggest thing, the biggest headline, I guess, for us uh, and will remain our biggest headline to the point you've talked about broadcast and, and audiences is around fandom, the sports fandom. We, we've got to keep driving our fandom in terms of increasing the number of people who come into contact with the sport, whether that be through the BBC for the first time or whether that be a, a regular League Express reader. You know, we have to keep banging the drum and, and developing our fandom because ultimately if we do, if we succeed at that, everyone will benefit because more people will be watching the game on TV, more people will be subscribing to Sky Sports, more people will be coming through the turnstiles, more people will be going onto digital platforms to engage with the sport. So the, the, the real headline in all of this is around fandom and driving our fandom. And yes, we've put the blocks in place around broadcast we've done a lot of work on digital at this in this place in in rugby commercial um to help to, to help us achieve that that focus is now going to go on to the clubs this year so that's where a lot of img digital's time is going to be spent with clubs as opposed to us here um attendances we're going to continue to work hard on our own attendances but also the club's attendances and the fourth i guess pillar in in all of that is is our players we're seeing, <clears throat> forever seeing that actually people aren't necessarily supporting clubs anymore. They're supporting players. You know, best example is Lionel Messi. Okay, we don't quite have a Lionel Messi yet, but you know, fans of of Barcelona now fans of Inter Inter Miami buying Inter Miami merchandise. Uh, players are the ones who get us through the doors. They're the ones that are on the field producing the magic. Mm. They're also producing some of the off-field magic. Mikey Lewis in round one with the medal with the, yeah, with the sure. young girl who was a Hull mm. FC fan, I think. Yes, um, that's right. Which is even even better. But the players are the ones that are going to help us achieve that. And so we've got to put some time and effort into a select number of players who we think will be able to cut through for us. I believe that the players who have been signed to... Um um, 
what do they call it, uh, to um, major contracts this year have been told that they've got to... Um, the marquee players. Marquee players, sorry, yeah, I forgot the marquee the word. players. Uh, they've got to front up to the media and, um, yeah, so and, we've, and develop profile, you know, profiles of their own. Yeah, so one of the things we, t- we talked about last year when when the RFL side were talking about marquee players and salary cap and you know, the desire to have a third marquee player and stuff. I guess one of our one of our requests was okay if we're if there is an agreement that a third marquee is going to come in, then we we want to be able to have access to them because at the moment we're finding it quite difficult to get access to the best players sure. all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the clubs were understanding of that. And you know, I guess with the new world of rugby commercial and IMG, there was an agreement in place. So so the players, it, it's a fairly broad clause, but it, in effect, it, it means that there is more accessibility to those marquee players now sure. for us to be able to go and do our media and our PR and our marketing campaigns with those players. And are they being trained, for example, to you know front up to the media um, in an interesting way, for example? Yeah, and that's some of the work, I guess, we're doing behind the scenes yeah. at the moment, is putting a programme in place. Um, IMG have a what they call a star creation programme. Um, and a couple of players have been through that already during the World Cup. Uh, a couple of the England players... Uh, Bevan French has done some stuff with IMG around star creation, but we want to try and get a couple more through that system in terms of, like you say, developing them as as people, not just rugby players. What are their backstories? What are their mm. interests? You know, does somebody like cooking, for example? If so, that's that's a real good one for us. You know, we could go and hit a multiple number of cooking programs. You know, would mm. you would you be interested in speaking to Jack Wellsby? By the way, he's a he's a chef. You know, he's a, he's, <laughs> yeah. a, he's a pretty good chef at the same time. You know, yeah. for a for a chef who's a rugby fan goes actually yeah that'd be a great kind of segue into mm. well Ryan Hall's a great piano player apparently yeah, isn't he? he's also good at the um, Rubik's Cube isn't he yes he is yes he certainly is but, multi-talented but that, that Martin is a really good example we're talking about Ryan Hall who with respect to Ryan he's nearly as old as I am yeah yeah but we're still talking about him as a piano player and a Rubik's Cube player we want with respect to Ryan, we want the 22 to 25 year olds. Yeah. Who the Harry Newmans, the Jack Wellsbys, the Michael yeah. Lewis's three really good examples. We want those guys to tell us what their equivalent of Ryan Hall is. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's the thing. Like, as a fan of the sport, you do care about that backstory. You do care what their interests are, and you know, when it's not all about their on-field performances. You do like seeing that different side of them, and uh, we might just throw the invitation out to all our marquee players. Um, you're welcome. Just but um, yeah I guess we'll throw the invitation out to our marquee players they're always welcome to come on the League Express podcast Absolutely, if they want to come and yes. show a different side of their personality Actually, would, you, would, would you think about releasing the names of all the marquee players because we think we know who they are but but nonetheless we're probably not correct in every single case are we I don't think yeah there's 20 of them yeah. Um, so we know who the who the twenty and look some are some are not applicable to the star creation. You know they are they're Australian. They're thirty years old. So it, perhaps not in our interest to to promote them as much as a Mikey Lewis or a Harry Newman. But you know that there are there are twenty marquee players who are all earning money, which the clubs deem to be you know to be their standout players. So we've got to make the most of them. Mm. And that brings me on to another point. Uh, a bit conscious about time moving on now, yeah. but. Australian players within Super League, um, Rodri, every club's entitled to have an overseas quota of seven players. I just wonder whether that's too many now and whether we should be trying at some point, you know, in the not-too-distant future to reduce that to six and then perhaps five and four and 
and so on. Because at the end of the day, I mean, I have nothing against Australian players. I, I, I love watching them. But, but we do need to develop our own talent. Uh, and some clubs are very good at doing that. Obviously, some are better than others. Um, but we need to give clubs more of an incentive to, you know, for us to be able to reduce that Australian number, I think. I mean, I, w- I wonder what your feelings are on that. Yeah, look, I, I don't disagree with that. I think there's an element of clubs, each club is probably in a very different place. Mm. You know, if you look at the, you know, use, use St. Helens and, and Wigan as an example, you know, speaking to Chris and, and Mike pretty regularly, you know, they've they've got uh, a pathway coming through where they're, they're making decisions about first-team players now in the knowledge that they've got a 17-year-old coming through. Um, I think I met Jack Jack Faramund for the first time on Saturday night. He was he was doing the corporate run, as they call it, right. uh, on Saturday night. And, you know, he's a 17-year-old kid, but the the way he's being talked about is, you know, he is going to be the next the next big thing coming yeah. out of, of English uh, of English rugby league. So, so I think every club is in a very different place, Martin, in terms of in terms of academies. W- would you like to see a a, a more developed UK based Super League? Yeah, of course you would, absolutely. But you know, you can't tell me that what a Bevan French or a Jay Field does for Wigan doesn't appeal and doesn't No, and that's why I wouldn't players, I wouldn't reduce so. it to zero, obviously. Yeah, you know, so it, I still but think... But you'd still be signing guys like that if, say, if we only had three overseas players. That that wouldn't stop Bevan French being signed up, would it? That's true. I, I understand the point you're making. And I, yeah. I think it's... Like I say, I think every club is in a very different place. And, you know, I think the, the, the challenge we all have is, is to grow that pond of... Uh, it's, it, it comes back to fandom, doesn't it? It does. You know, that eight-year-old who has watched that game for the first time on Saturday night on the BBC might just go and pick up a rugby ball on Sunday. Yeah. In ten years' time, he could be the next, you know, the next big thing. And that's absolutely that's our job, I guess, at Rugby League Commercial is to is to try and support, I guess, what what every club is doing and trying to bring new players through to some. Extent. And on that on that subject, subject um, and again going back to IMG, it was very much a a central part of what IMG were talking about when they were first appointed, that London was going to be a significant target for growth. Um, and obviously, I don't think anybody anticipated London Broncos getting such a low grading score. But what can... I mean, obviously, London is important um, in any sport. If, if you've got the capital city with a major club as we would obviously like to have it would make a massive difference i think to um everything that you've been talking about fandom and so on what what what, what can be done to to reach that point rodri do you think and what are, what can img do to help us reach that point yeah it's interesting we we had this kind of exact conversation yesterday actually um and i think you're right when the recommendations were written and and london was in there i think it I don't think there was an expectation London perhaps were in Super League so as quickly as they as they no. did. They they finished fifth last year, didn't they? Mm. Um, and got their way through the playoffs. Um, and the club at, at the moment isn't in the right place, as as you can see from from that grading score. But that doesn't mean London just disappears off off the priority area. So I think it's it's probably two things. One is we have to provide the London audience with rugby league opportunities. We clearly have that with Wembley. Internationals is the other thing. You know, we've not had an international down in London since that World Cup semi-final. And probably before that, a long period before that, probably I think West Ham when England played Australia back in mm. 
when was that 14 or 16 yeah. so so providing opportunities um there was the talk around an IMG new event which at the moment is is effectively magic weekend uh, we're continuing with magic weekend for the right reasons um we we have to find a way of uh, activating that london market 100% agree but with we've not found it but we yet. haven't found the perfect pill yet no, no. we haven't found it and i think that that that's been i don't think it's a new problem for us um but it's something that we're we're we are looking at and something that we want to um want to achieve over the next couple of years because as you say when you look at our when you look at sky sports audience data when you look at our database data when you look at just in terms of population london is effectively the third on the list for us after the northwest and, and effectively the northeast and yorkshire so it would be remiss of us to totally ignore it and what about france because obviously um we've now got this new broadcasting deal with l'equipe <coughs> and uh, the, the catalans broadcasters title of which i can't quite TV remember tv3 yeah. tv3 um Obviously, I suppose everybody thought Toulouse were going to be in Super League this year before London went over there and upset the apple cart, you might say. Um, do, do you see Toulouse as a potentially viable member of Super League uh, as either a 12-team Super League or a 14-team Super League? Would you, would you, for example, if Toulouse did come in and did get a grade A ranking, as hopefully they might, would you then like to see Super League moving up to 14 teams to still retain 12 in this country. Yeah, uh, similar conversation yesterday. Um, you know, I, I should from have been a, involved yesterday, shouldn't from I? A, yeah, <laughs> yeah, you might have been listening. Um, yeah. From from a uh, from a, my perspective, you know, I think it's... I think I'm okay to say I see the Dragons are a very different kind of club to, to, to lose. Yes. You know, the, the Dragons are a mainstay of Super League. They've had success on the field. They're successful off the field, etc. So I think we, we kind of treat them slightly differently to Toulouse. Um, Toulouse, uh, it'll be really interesting to see how they, how they go this year in terms of um, performance on the field, but also off the field now, knowing that there's a grading structure around. Mm. Clearly in the... In the illustrative gradings, they they were uh, ninth or tenth, um, which suggests that they would be in Super League next year. Um, but I think there will be some clubs around you oh, know, yes. that, that same area who are striving to to overtake them, and and so I think it's going to be a really interesting year year for Toulouse in terms of their future. Look, I, I think there is a there is a realization that there is a. Um, there is an element, there is an amount of money that is leaving the British game to go to France. Um, and we can all see that and we all know what that, that mount is. And and what do we get back in return for it? Uh, and a number of uh, our stakeholders would say, well, you know, the benefit is all going to France in that they get the distribution, they get the TV deal where the Dragons are on telly every week, etc. But what is coming back? And that's that's probably one of the questions that we need to... Uh, answer and, and work through to ensure that the French club participation in Super League is done on level playing terms mm. and level 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 playing term. Um, so that's some of the work that that we'll be doing this year. Mm. I mean, does that mean that you'd be, for example, withdrawing the distribution to French clubs? Uh, I don't. I'm not sure we'd go quite as extreme as that. No. Uh, to start with, who knows what that might mm. become? But already, you know, I think. Again, there's two different models in operation, but you know, for next year, the the travel 
the whole travel will change in terms of teams going out to Catalan next year in terms of who pays for the travel. Um, the Catalans will pay. The, the, the Dragons will, will pick up that bill now. So slowly but surely the, the, the how, balance... How have, they, how have the, they reacted to being told that that's what will happen? Um, it's been it's been talked about, it's knowledge, but we've not really got into that detail yet. No. Um, that's something we're going to do very quickly because it's good for everybody to know how the land lies for next year. Mm. Uh, Toulouse are already doing it. Don't forget that that's what they already do that for the championship clubs and did it in Super League two years ago when they were in Super League. So, in effect, we're we're just bringing Catalan in line with what Toulouse are already doing. Mm. Yeah, I mean Bernard Guache is not necessarily an easy guy to negotiate with, is he? I should think. I can't imagine they'd be all that chuffed no, at being told that. No, equally, you know, they have a TV deal where you know all their games are broadcast in France. Mm. And so the commercial benefit of that deal for the Dragons, yes. you know, I'm not sure. Can, can we, be offset. I'm not sure we quite understand how good it is for them. No. Um, but but I'm pretty sure it, it's a positive move for them. They were very keen for us to conclude that deal. Yes. So so I would, to your point, I think it would offset that. But I think the, I mean, I, I, I've heard this so often that the, the clubs object to the French clubs because they think that they're not giving anything back. But actually, they're giving an international profile, which is, you know, quite remarkable and unlike most of the sports in this country. So, uh, and the same could have been said of, of Toronto, of course, when they were playing. So, you know, it's up to the game, surely, to learn how to take advantage of that profile that French clubs give us. Yeah, and, and there's also, there is a pathway in France as well. You know, the mm. elite, elite one competition is... You know, from what I can see, from you know, from what I see on social media and 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 what have you, it's you know, it, it's thriving out there. So there is a there is a potential pathway out there mm. as well. So, you know, as hard as it is to generate the playing pyramid here in this country, there is also a pyramid down in France. So, yes, you know, that that might expand. You know, over the next couple of years, if that elite one continues to to thrive, so mm. that means there's more viable Super League players available. Uh, to, to not just the French well, clubs, but to any club. Yeah. Interestingly, Rodri, uh, Leeds Rhinos at Hull KR on Friday night had two French players starting at Brock Forward. Of course for they did, yeah, yeah. You know, which I, I'm not sure about this, but I suspect that's the first time Unique. ever. Yeah. yeah. Mm. And, you know, great. And, what, and, of course, what we really want to see is enough French players performing at that level to be able to play for France and give us a real tight, international game like New Zealand v Australia 100% uh, and th that was again go back to the go back to the recommendations 18 months ago it's amazing what you write 18 months ago to to what what you think now but mm. you know a lot of that was around the international calendar and playing yeah. France every summer and, and what have you and that was based on the 2025 World Cup being in France yes. you know and that no longer is there sadly it's so tragedy really yeah it is and and so therefore then you know what what is our relationship with the French Federation like with no kind of North Star on the horizon? Um, and uh, and that's the bit, again, that, that we need to work through. And just one other thing on the international game. Samoa, do we know anything yet about that? Are they coming this year? or uh, We certainly hope so. Yeah, we certainly hope so. The odds are in favour, are they? Uh, well, we, we had a we had a had a good call with uh, Samoa and the IRL and, and the NRL um two Thursdays ago um, and we've all been tasked to go away and do some work behind the scenes again seeing Andrew Abdo in person this week uh, will be a good thing for that conversation um, 
so hopefully we can we can get something confirmed over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, great. Perfect. We've taken up a lot of your time, Roger, mate. We really Roger. appreciate you, um, you know, coming on and, and giving us the time of day. Uh, one last question from me: Poker or blackjack player, mate? Will you see yourself <laughs> at the tables this oh, weekend? I'm not sure there'll be much of that going on. <laughs> uh, a bit, bit fearful of it, if I'm being yeah. honest. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Look, it's going to be a really interesting eye-opening uh, eye-opening week weekend. Um, not least because it's in Las Vegas. Mm. Um, never been. Not sure what to expect. But I just think that, <laughs> yeah, just not sure. It, but the spectacle of of rugby league in in Las Vegas, it it probably will take me back to being stood at the new camp and watching Catalan play Wigan. You know, Absolutely, just unique. Just a unique experience, which really. wasn't followed up, was it? And that, that's that's unfortunate. But that's not, another not, story. Not not without trying. I, I, you know, yeah. I think there was definite desire from the Dragons to. Uh, to try and replicate that last year dates didn't quite work out but I, yeah. I don't think it's totally gone I think there is an aspiration to do something similar but you'll have seen um, Rodri that the NRL has given its players this weekend all sorts of guidance about how to survive a weekend mm-hmm. in, in, in Las Vegas Absolutely. presumably you'll be reading through that Absolutely. will you avoid 100%. the ladies of the night they say well. don't they <laughs> Uh, awesome work, mate. Well, um, thanks again. All the best. Um, safe travels to Vegas. Thanks for having me. Thank um, you. Yeah, enjoy your Thank time. You. And yeah, we might end it here, guys. I think Martin and I, we might try and do a, a part two um, regarding the World Cup Challenge. Obviously, we've spoken to Rodri a lot today about some other things involved with the game. Yes. But yeah, we might end it here, guys. Thanks for listening. And um, yeah, stay tuned for the uh, second part. thanks to Rodri. Great. Thank you. Thank thanks, you. Rodri.